Welcome to Elevate Health Podcast, sponsored by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington, and One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, a subsidiary of Elevate Health. This episode features a community care conversation hosted by a licensed clinical social worker and therapist, Kim Bjorn, Elevate Health's Director of Clinical Integration and Transformation. Today's conversation focuses on the growing need for youth crisis services. Kim's guests are Nolita Reynolds, a clinical director for Catholic Community Services, and Rhoda Ramirez, a clinical manager for Catholic Community Services. Now, here's our host, Kim Bjorn. and the host for this episode of the Elevate Health Community Care Conversations podcast. And our guests today are Nolita Reynolds, the Clinical Director for Catholic Community Services, and Rhoda Ramirez, who's the Clinical Manager for Catholic Community Services. And they are our experts here in Pierce County with Youth Behavioral Crisis Services. And I've had the pleasure in talking with them both before um, sharing information. So I would love for you both to kind of Tell us again who you are and what your role is and and why you came here today. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I'm Nolita. You already introduced my name and title. Mm-hmm. And I have been uh, with Catholic Community Services for about 20 years I now. You've been it's, here a while. It's quite a while. Um, and one of the things I'm probably most proud of is that I started as what was called a case aid back in the old days. Um, so it's kind of the entry-level behavioral health position. It's like a behavioral health aide. Um, and I was just thrown in, um, got to see lots of very interesting situations. But it was nice to be able to start in that position mm-hmm. and kind of – I stayed in that for a while. I left the organization, finished my graduate degree, and came back ex- as a therapist in another office. And from there, I, you know, like all of us, I guess, that we became a supervisor, a mm-hmm. manager – um, and then eventually a director. And probably one of my favorite things about working with the organization is you just really get to see some of the most unique challenge situations mm-hmm. out there. They're all a little bit different. Um, I think I started, it's like, oh, I'll just do this job for a little while. Um, but at one point, I really just fell in love with the work. I, mm-hmm. There was a particular situation that I got to see with a family reunification and an impact it had on a young lady who couldn't read at age 16. Mm. And she learned to read, I say, between Harry Potter and being reunited with her family. She, like, just had an incredible change in her life, and that really hooked me. Mm. Well, I think continuity is such a big factor in successful programs. And having somebody like you who's been here a long time, I think, is really a testament to the services here in Pierce County. So... So thank you. Rhoda, tell us about you. Hi. Probably about 35 mm-hmm. years in different areas and came to um, Family Behavior Health Catholic Community Services about 11 years. And so really it was a decision for me of where do I want to end my career mm-hmm. in social services. And I was familiar with um, what Family Behavior Health does and how it's worked with family. I worked um, for the department in the past mm-hmm. and really saw the good work that they did. And really um, what really impressed me about it is that they're vision aligns with their actions. And um, you really see that present in how they work with families. Mm -hmm. 
so, yeah, I've been here for, um, like I said, 11 years. I started off as a clinician, uh, promoted to supervisor, mm-hmm. and now am a clinical manager over the crisis team. Mm. Um, and so that's been a pleasure to, to work in that area, just seeing the good work that is done and the hard work that the families do to get themselves to better. Well, it says a lot about the organization being able to hold good leaders there for a while. So good job, CCS. So... I want to, if you could, um, let us audience get a sense of the current need and demand of youth crisis services. I know you work for the family as a whole, but really starting to talk about crisis services more because there's different types, different interventions you all do. So mm-hmm. please share that. would be great. Yes. So for crisis services in particular, um, if you call the crisis line on the adult end, you get mobile outreach. Mm -hmm. On the youth end, you get uh, Catholic Community Services, Family Behavioral Health. And it's interesting. um, Probably, obviously, we're all impacted by the pandemic. And that has had a tremendous impact on the work that we do. Mm -hmm. Initially, there was actually probably the biggest drop in our services that we'd had since we started um, in 2009 mm-hmm. um, with providing crisis services for Pierce County. And it stayed low for a while. And our long-term services were actually increasing and increasing. Mm-hmm. And last year, really, things took off in such a way that we had to restructure and expand our crisis services. Um, it's just the the growth has been tremendous. And the way crises look is a little bit different. I mean, it's still, again very commonly youth presenting with Mm self-harm. I mean, sometimes there's harm to others. We see all kids on the spectrum. Um, Any youth will take, or no decline, no eject, no reject. But it has, it basically outstrips our ability to provide Mm -hmm. services. And I know this is not unique to our organization at all. Can you share a little bit about why you think the crisis crisis calls drop significantly in the beginning. I know I have an idea, but for our listeners, they might not understand the why behind that. And that wasn't the same because we have different offices, yeah. so that was interesting. But they're probably my speculation is that there was an initial honeymoon period. It's mm-hmm. um, certainly novel not being in school and you get to be home. Um, your routines are very different and it can be fun. It could be a slumber party. Mm-hmm. And so initially, I think people were figuring things out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about care, parents trying to figure out where their children are going to go. Their yep. work was disrupted. So there was a lot of um, ambiguity and unknowns. And so it there was that kind of period of like a calm before the storm. Yeah, there always is that calm. <laughs> I also think that there is. different things. I think we found it even when it was uh, this last snow that we had, we had a drop in our crisis calls. Um, It's a disruption of our daily Mm -hmm. life. And so it refocuses um, their thoughts on different things. Very much. Um, So if you if you could talk a little bit more, maybe what families are experiencing during behavioral health crisis, and you know the youth that maybe call in, but the family as a whole, what things that may they may be experiencing that may call you? Well, in general, the families we see, I mean, crisis line, they're pretty distressed. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, these are families that have been through a lot of child serving systems, and this is a little bit the general. Um, mm-hmm. They may be in outpatient therapy. They may have tried it and it hasn't worked. 
very often the youth are struggling in different life areas. So it may be school, it may be church, it may be very commonly in the home. It's pretty rare that we see a child's behavior in isolation, so family members are struggling. Um, very often families are struggling with poverty and isolation. So in general, um, for across all of our services, long-term mm -hmm. and even with the short-term crisis services, people tend to have a lot of struggles in life areas. Mm -hmm. Caregivers are struggling. Um, and so it just, it all starts to feed in, uh, to a pressure cooker and youth are very commonly symptom bearers. Mm -hmm. Do you have a certain age ranges that you see more of than others? We see primarily adolescents. I mean, we'll serve them zero in crisis at zero up to age, um, 17.999 mm -hmm. and our fast and our wise services, um, we can go up to age 21. Okay. We'll get into those services in a little bit. So, you know, I listen to things, and I'm, I'm very aware of what's going on in the community, and I hear the word peer used a lot. Do you use peers, and can you talk about the difference between a peer and maybe a clinical staff person? Sure. It's probably one of the favorite, one of my favorite changes that have mm -hmm. happened in the last five, six years. Um, we always had peer counselors in our work, but they were very few, and they were sort of peripheral to the whole entire intervention. The primary difference is a peer is identified as having lived experience. So a youth peer or a parent peer is someone who's gone through one of the, so I'll focus on a youth peer, a child-serving system, either juvenile court, they were in psychiatric hospitalization, had outpatient mental health services, um, maybe had specialized services in school, and for the parents, um, they were a parent of a child who struggled with mm -hmm. that. So they have this real life experience that is so can be so transformative mm -hmm. and so powerful in the work with families that are struggling. I mean, our clinicians and all of our support positions are incredibly skilled engagers, and I think that's a source of pride for the work that mm -hmm. we do. With peers, sometimes when you're really struggling to engage or we'll have a youth say, I don't want to see one more professional, it appears sometimes like, well, I'm not a professional. Or when I had somebody talking through the door to me and when I was in the hospital, mm -hmm. this is what I went through. And a lot of times you'll see, okay, there's a moment where they're like, this is somebody who's literally walked through this. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that other positions haven't had that, but a peer counselor uses components of their story in throughout the work. Mm -hmm. And so it can be sometimes a little nuanced and subtle. It doesn't mean they're telling their story every single um, encounter they have with a family, but they're using components with it to get a family to better. And so with a clinical staff person, when you, because they might be part of a team that comes out. So what does a clinical person do in that regard? I mean, that's probably something that's a little more graspable. They have pretty traditional um, education and experience, like for a therapist, they'll have a graduate degree. We do have bachelor's level clinicians mm -hmm. as well, and we're very confident in the skills they have and the work they provide. Um, so they're bringing like maybe traditional CBT approaches mm -hmm. and things that you learn in school. Mm -hmm. um, First and foremost, we want all of our employees to come with the mission and values, and then you bring in those clinical pieces. You're driving a treatment plan. There's all the fun documentation yes. that we all like to do. Um, and peers do this as well. They have some um, pieces of documentation that they're required, and I won't get into all the coding. Um, and so everyone works as a clinical team, mm -hmm. but they do have more clear roles in terms of what they're doing and how they're helping drive the overall treatment plan forward. Okay. We'll be back with more in just a moment. 
Elevate Health podcast is a new series produced by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington. Elevate Health's mission is to build and drive community coalitions that result in better and equitable health care for all in Washington State and beyond. For more information, visit us at elevatehealth.org. So let's say somebody's listening to the podcast right now and, they're, and they have um, a young person they live with and, they're, and you see this person struggling. When would be a time to call you all in for, for help? When, when is the best time, maybe before they get to a crisis? And then what, is a, what does a crisis look like that would prompt somebody to say, hey, it's time to maybe call the team in? Well, what we always like to say is if you feel like you want to call in and ask, call us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a whole team. We call, It's called our access team that takes calls directly from the community. They are part of our crisis rotation, which is 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. All of us are on the crisis phone. And so even if it's not something that's big in a typical crisis or if you call our front desk directly and don't go through the crisis line, you can always ask and consult. We offer that to professionals and families as well. So that's first and foremost, because we do want to have a customer focus. Secondly, typically, uh, uh, we're going to get called in. Um, Very often, we'll get called in from an ER where some Mm -hmm. youth has taken a bottle of Tylenol. They had conflict with their parents. They'd taken a bottle of Tylenol. Either they were found or admitted it. Um, and they were driven to the ER. And once they're medically cleared, we can come out. There may be a situation where a caregiver and a youth are at home. Ideally, we'd love to see people at home before they hit the hospital. So they don't have to go through that telling their story there, telling the story to the EMT or law enforcement, going and do it in the hospital, and then we're coming out. And so it just lengthens the process. And sometimes families are asleep by then. They're pretty Mm -hmm. tired. But if they're having a conflict in the home, they're, maybe there's yelling, they came home, had a bad day at school with their grades, and the caregiver was tired or they're threatening to hurt themselves. And parents are scared, mm-hmm. you know, and they've gone through it a lot. They're dealing with their own challenges. That would be a good time for us to come in and help say, okay, let's take a moment, get everybody in their corners, have a conversation. From there, develop a safety plan because sometimes it's just nice to have a little bit of structure mm-hmm. and someone to come in and help guide it. Yeah, I was going to ask, so how long would you hold a family, like, in service? Like, let's say you do get out there. You don't have to go through the ER. Maybe maybe a family member's like, oh, my goodness, this is the f- fourth time that they haven't gone to school. You know, you're, they're really worried, and they and they call you. How, how do you interact with the family, and how long do you support them? Mm-hmm. Um, a situation where someone's the parent calls and says, my child is um, suffering from severe anxiety. Usually they don't say it like that, or they're mm-hmm. locked themselves in the bathroom. They're crying. Um, they're not coming out. They're talking about they want to harm themselves. That's a crisis that will go out and respond. And there's no medical attention that is needed. So the clinician will um, go out, um, assess, engage the youth, do a risk assessment, um, safety plan as well with the whole family. And then it really depends on, the, like again, the family situation. Again, a lot of them are already engaged in community mental mm-hmm. health, so that might be following up with the um, current counselor mm-hmm. the next day. 
uh, it might not e- even it might even be um, having someone over spending one of our staff spending the night there. Um, it might be a parent that has been up for days because their mm-hmm. child has been up at night and really needs a little bit of respite. So we have staff that can go in there and help provide that safety and supervision. And it's really until that crisis is stable, until we can get them connected to another service and or the family believes that, you know, we're good with what we've been mm-hmm. provided and we can move on from there. So it really depends. Sometimes it's that day and they feel confident in the services that were provided. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get them connected. But usually I would say anywhere from like 72 to a week, 72 hours to a week. Is there any situation you wouldn't respond to? I, I'm thinking of people that may have um, a different, like a developmental disability diagnosis or something like that. So I'm seeing you shake your head. Mm-hmm. So tell me, so everything's available, you're available to everyone. We're available okay. to everyone. Um, we will meet you at a park. Um, we'll meet, it could be a developmental delay. The youngest youth I responded to was three. Mm. Um, Mom thought she was having visual hallucinations because she was saying snakes are crawling all over her. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were able to work through that one pretty quickly. But even if there are developmental delay, and on on occasion we'll get a, we'll coordinate with mobile outreach Mm -hmm. um, that works with adults. If it's an Mm 18-year-old, like there was a situation, 18-year-old, still in um, high school, living as a youth the dad was in a wheelchair couldn't come get him Mm. and i just were like well yeah let's just go we'll go out there and um work with them there's really no situation we won't go to i mean if somebody says they're profusely bleeding right we can go out and meet you just to help you calm down but you're gonna need to call 911 obviously well that's good to know because i think People don't always know what resources are available, and they may think, oh, your Catholic community services, you do this, you do this population, and and not realize that you are a resource for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's great. What may be a crisis to me may not be a crisis to the next person. But if they call, um, we might not, it might not be something that we would go out on, but we may consult and help walk them through that crisis. We've gotten calls on um, where the youth is refusing to go to school. That might is not really a crisis dependent on the situation, uh, but it is something that we can help walk that parent Mm -hmm. through. Great. I appreciate you saying that. So you mentioned earlier you have different services. One of them is um, the Family Assessment and Stabilization Team called FAST. And so one of the things I wanted to do is is you to be able to talk a little bit about that and also maybe how it's different than something like the um, wraparound intensive services that we also hear about, which is WISE. Mm -hmm. Um, So have at it. Explain it because I would love to learn more. (laughs) Well, one of the biggest differences is the length of service. Yeah. So for the FAST, which it's a short-term crisis stabilization service. FAST is a good name for that. Yes, it is. <laughs> we actually, and our president will say we came up with the name and then made the acronym FIT because we really wanted to convey yep. we're going to get in here, triage, and get through what we need to get this family to stability. It doesn't mean all the problems are going to be mm-hmm. solved or we're going to work in every life domain, mm-hmm. if you will, all the life areas, school, home, residential Mm -hmm. housing, all the kind of life areas that 
drive all of us, but it is to bring about a level of stability. So they could either be handed off to another provider or if it's not going to be stable, maybe they're going to have to be in longer term intensive services, mm -hmm. but we can determine it in that period of time. It's up to 90 days. So it could be two weeks, it could be 60 days, it could be 71 days, or it can go the full 90. Um, and they're basically for youth that are at risk of out-of-home placement or mm -hmm. short-term hospitalization. Um, they, we used to say that they'd have nine toes in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so there was a big push to get them in the hospital or they're at risk maybe for CPS to have them removed from the home um, because of things that are going on um, with the, the family. So it's pretty high risk. So a lot of family conflict, emotional, behavioral problems, mm -hmm. um, maybe child protection issues and things like that. And so it's, it's we used to call also call it turbo case management. So we're gonna get in there. There's gonna be some level of brief therapy, um, brief supports, but it's gonna have to be something that's contained in that period of mm -hmm. time. And it's we pull in peers also for that service as well. And we have paraprofessionals that mm -hmm. will do things like case management, um, help coordinating with services. Sometimes they're doing things like helping with a morning routine. Mm -hmm. So the biggest time of day they struggle is getting up, getting on the bus for school. Mm -hmm. Okay, this parent is like, I can't do it. She's tired. She's taken off work too many days in a row. She's going to get fired. Mm -hmm. She's losing her wages. And it's like, let us do this for the first next three mornings and to help kind of just jumpstart that again, to get them some immediate rest and relief, because when you're exhausted, you're not in a position to be the best parent you can be. Right. Um, and families deal with a lot. So it really is, again, about bringing that rapid uh, stabilization. And something I do want to say, all of our services are no eject, no reject, no decline. I'd love that. Yeah, I do too. It's one of the things I love. They're team-driven. They're family and youth voice-driven. We have a set of what we call guiding principles. And sometimes when we say, oh, we're stuck and don't know what to do, go back and look and say, is it normative? Is it family-driven? Is it cost-effective? Mm -hmm. um, is it safe? And safety is obviously yeah. our biggest um, priority there. Um, sometimes it can get tricky, like when you talked about youth with developmental delays. Mm -hmm those situations are emergent and they can be big and they can need a level of stability and it's not something that's going to be able to get resolved typically by the mental health system. Right. And so th it's an ongoing challenge providers It is struggle. a challenge and I think about that from my days in the ER when you have parents that have just they've, they're just done because it's so challenging and the drain and they come to the ER and they're like I, I need a break and so they're kiddos stuck in the ER for mm -hmm. days to weeks right. looking for an alternative. And so that's why I was curious, I'm like, how, how do you wrap around, but knowing the complexities of how systems also have to work together. It is more complicated than people realize. Yeah, quite. Always trying different things out yeah. though. There's some there's a new model that we're looking at about working even within the context of mm -hmm. our services right now. But again, I don't want the audience to clean yes. over either. Yes. Um, and a little bit about the WISE program, if you wouldn't mind explaining. I know, is that something you all provide? Oh, yes. Okay. That's almost probably our biggest service yeah. area right now. And we have two sites in Pierce County that provide that. Um, so along with um, WISE services in our office, we have FAST and Crisis. Um, and so these are, if families can self-refer for both Fast and then wise is wrap around. Um, oh my God! With the what is it? Intensive services. Yes. Yes. 
Um, all the acronyms, folks. All the acronyms. All the acronyms. And, I said, and it's a statewide service, yes. so, and there's other providers in Paris right. County who do it. Right now, we're the largest one. Mm-hmm. And for both FAST and WISE, they're Medicaid only, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate because we see a lot of families with private insurance um, who get, aren't going to cover these type of right. services, unfortunately. And there is a WISE program through Seneca yes. that came to Pierce County, but that also has had some of its challenges as well. And we won't get into that on yeah. this one, but I know that there's resources out there, but the resources need to be built up some more right. to be able yes. to meet the demand right yes. now. Yes, yeah, it is nice to have them. We are mm-hmm. at a weekly meeting with them. Oh. And yes, we're. <laughs> it, it's tough out there, yeah. um, right? Especially right now more than ever. Um, so again, these are uh, families that are looking at like long-term residential, mm-hmm. long-term out-of-home placement, very typically, they have been through almost every child-serving system or at least a few. Mm-hmm. Um, they've tried a lot of things. They may have already been in residential treatment. Caregivers are absolutely just done. They're really struggling with hope. Um, we often talk to our teams about, hey, that we're the keepers of hope here because mm-hmm. sometimes they just don't have it. And sometimes in the beginning, we are working harder than the families are because they just can't do it. Mm-hmm. There's usually multi multi-generational poverty and isolation that families are struggling with. So we talk about it's like that tip of the pyramid in terms of overall mental health treatment. And so they're really, really struggling in a lot of areas and quite frankly for more than one generation and extended family members are struggling. Mm And so we're really getting in there sometimes starting from the ground up. You know, there's maybe struggles in there. They don't have a social life. We often talk to a, a parent and say, you know, when's the last time you did something fun? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them can't think of a time. And mm-hmm. so maybe part of the prescription is that they spend, you know, an hour a week with a friend or a neighbor where they're just having a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and or if we're doing it with them in the beginning, because some people say, I, my friends all, they're burnt out from my kid, mm-hmm. if you will. Then we're helping them and say, you know, we're not going to talk about your child right now. Let's just talk about you and their likes and interests. And people have to relearn how to do that sometimes. Yeah. It can be pretty heartbreaking. Um, so we're working with schools, juvenile court, um, child welfare, which is CPS. Yes. Um, different child serving systems and again also it's like sometimes like how do you bring fun back into your life yeah. when's the last time the family played a game together or um, it really is like starting over yeah um, so we'll tend to work with these families for like 14 18 months wow um, sometimes I, you know as you're talking I'm kind of seeing like the web of all the different services that um, CCS provides for families and and when one doesn't fit into one bucket, they may fit into another bucket. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really positive thing for sure. We'll be back with more of this community care conversation in just a moment. This episode is supported by One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, the investment arm of Elevate Health. One Pierce is a nonprofit community investment fund focused on improving whole person health, advancing health equity and expanding health access for the people of Pierce County. To learn more, visit us at onepierce.org. Well, we already talked a little bit about how the challenge of right now is. And right now, as most of you know, we are still dealing with COVID. So I'm curious to hear from you how COVID's impacted services for families and youth and what trends you're observing in the community. 
This has been interesting. And Rhoda, who's been a part of crisis, um, she's one of our gurus, I would say, with it, has like been able to provide a lot of feedback about it. The mm. biggest thing is the isolation. Yeah. And when you think about like the developmental stage of adolescence, you know, they're starting to branch out from their families. Mm-hmm. They're making friends. They're practicing on the way to practice becoming an adult. And most of those things have been incredibly disruptive. Yes. There's no school activities. There's you know, people aren't going to their churches or their mm-hmm. recreational um, activities. And a lot of youth, I've personally seen it. I know Rhoda's seen it a ton. Like virtual school is really hard because mm-hmm. a lot of things are online. Maybe they could do it for a little bit. It's just been a struggle. And so we'll see some youth that had no prior history of mental health services, which is different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they were star of the football team, if right. you will. And all of a sudden, they're falling apart and they're presenting to yes. the ED um, so we're seeing higher lethality or higher acuity, I should say. Um, and so when I higher lethality in terms of like some of the attempts that mm-hmm. youth are making, it's really scary. Um, the volume has gotten higher. So we, for other services, there's youth that are waiting now. Yeah. And so then we have people trying to at least stay in contact with them or partner with their existing mental health provider if they have one. Um, one of the weird things that um, and Rhoda could talk about this if you want to, but like the amount of families that have firearms, it yeah. you would see like maybe one in five before, but it's so much so that we've actually had to change our practice and how we ask about them and making sure that they're secured. There's multiple firearms. Mm-hmm. Again, this is anecdotal, but it's happened enough um, that it's like over the last like probably year and a half. Yeah. And so we're like, where are they? Is it a key? Is it a biometric lock? Mm-hmm. Is it a combination? Who has it? You know, in even ones that they think aren't functioning. So we've really had to have people ask in a much more intentional mm-hmm. probing way about firearms just because there's, they're ubiquitous now. Yeah. It's very strange. Um, one of the things, too, that we've seen is that people are struggling to get into lower-level services mm-hmm. because they're so full. Yes. I mean, we talk to caregivers all the time that are saying, yeah, I have an appointment at this clinic or that, but I can't get – it's not for six months. Right. And so they're not in huge crisis yet, but they're going to be. Yep. And so um, – and the other thing, and I think probably a lot of people could speak to this, is workforce shortages yes. are having – more impact than they ever have. I mean, it's a tough field. It's tough work. But I think we sit in meetings all the Mm -hmm. time, Kim, where people are talking about not being able to hire. We Mm -hmm. hear it across the state. Um, The vaccine mandate, all Mm -hmm. these things. And there's probably just a stress that's impacting everyone. Mm -hmm. But you really have seen it in the last several months in different ways that it just... It's... We're learning how to work a little bit differently. It's the same, but some of these... um, changes have really, um, it's been a challenge. Yeah, we've all to look, think of things differently and resources differently. And I think, you know, Elevate Health is definitely um, getting engaged and looking at how we can support workforce development going forward, especially in behavioral health, because there is a huge gap for those who may be listening and are not realizing it. Um, I'm also a private practitioner on the side, and I get weekly contacts from families who cannot find therapists who have a four to five month wait for a psych evaluation for medication or something and and families are struggling because they're trying to reach out for resources um, before the child gets into a crisis Um, but they're very few and far between so um, 
So one of the things with integration that we work on is working with primary care providers and having them have um, resources so that they can feel more comfortable in treating. Um, So those are the things that in the community we're working on. But certainly, you know, crisis systems are going to get hit hard because people aren't able to be proactive and start interacting. And I will say, too, the anxiety for kids right now because of the fact that they have been isolated and not knowing how to re-engage yes. and feeling the self-consciousness and um, just just trying to relearn those. It's like they ha- they were in a bubble and now some of them are about to graduate and they have so much fear in that yes. because they don't know if they – how they're going to be on their own in the in the world, and so that's what I am seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate your nodding and knowing that it's they're not alone. So if they're listening out there, just know you're not alone. There's a lot of you out there that are struggling with this, and um, we're going to be here to help you. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Rhoda? I would just say that something that I've seen an increase also is the um, impulsivity. Yeah, um, that there's. A, you know, you're isolated, not a lot of things to do. Um, we had a youth that just was just sick and tired of being in isolated. Uh, and they decided that I've had it and walked down to the train tracks. Mm. Didn't have a history of mental health before. Yeah. And we're seeing more of that. Or they've, they're taking their mother's prescription. Just they're very much more impulsive than they ever have been. So... In my perspective, and I would love to hear from you, the one thing we could tell families or share with families is to talk with their youth, talk with their kids, you know, start the conversation, even if they're shutting down, you know, be with them, engage in activities in which they'll allow you to engage with because that isolation is real. And if you throw your hands up and say, well, they're in their bedroom, on their phone, whatever. That's just another way of them to isolate. Mm -hmm. And so to really try to pull them out so you can know a little bit of what's going on. Is there anything else that you would want to add to that? I I would 100% agree. And the piece you said about um, we have seen some youth that, like, they'd been out of school for so long, they kind of lost their confidence. Mm -hmm. It's eroded a bit. And they're out of practice with how Mm -hmm. to socialize. Again, one of the things that you're working through with early mid-adolescence. And I would really encourage kids, even though if they're trying to individuate, if you will, they still need their parents. Mm -hmm. They hunger for that connection. Even if you think they're ignoring you, they know you care when you do that. If you can find an activity, maybe you're even cooking together Mm -hmm. so you're not looking at each other. Sometimes it's a strategy we use to engage so we're not sitting down playing a traditional therapist staring at them. That can be a little bit uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for some of the families that we serve. And so any level of that, even if it's short term, um, and one of the things people will ask us when we're training staff is like, well, how do you ask somebody if they're suicidal? You ask them. That's right. You just do it. And if you treat it like it's normal and not a stigma, you're modeling that for them right. or saying, you know, I want you to know I'm here. Even if they're talking about things that are hard and, you know, in a way that that mm-hmm. particular age youth can handle, they're going to hear it and absorb it. Mm-hmm. But definitely don't let them be isolated. It's not... Anything we can do to get them outside. Um, yes, we're we're trying to find all kinds of creative ways because mm-hmm. you know there's been a little bit of increase. We have had a lot yeah. of staff and families get COVID, so we've had to 
pull back, but also make sure that we're meeting the families. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they want ideas, we're always willing to talk about it. Yeah. Well, definitely know that um, Catholic Community Services is a resource for families. So if you are afraid to ask the question, but you get the bravery to say, you know, I'm really worried about you. Are you thinking about hurting yourself or killing yourself? And you get an answer that you don't know what to do with. That's when you would call and talk to somebody. So just know any parent or caregiver or adult friend or whomever's out there that there are resources to help you support your youth that you love. So, so I always like to end on a success story. So do you have a success story that you would like to share? Yes, I do have a success story that we'd like to share. And this is one of many success stories. Uh, We had a youth about, uh, she was 14, 14 and a half, uh, came in under a crisis situation, uh, took, um, overdosed on pills and once she was medically clear, we came in. Um, there was a lot of family dynamics also happening. They just got out of a, a DV situation, the, the family did. Um, the youth also suffered from an eating disorder uh, and felt very um, negative about her life, what was going on, was very much isolated, um, dissatisfied how she looked, didn't have many friends, didn't... there was, uh, like Nolita was saying, there wasn't a lot of hope. Uh, also with the family, uh, the mother was very exhausted and uh, didn't see, and afraid, and didn't really see a future um, for her daughter. It's, we did go in after she was medically clear, do a crisis assessment, offered the family support, and we did actually um, extend over to WISE services. And she had a youth partner, the mom had a parent partner that could walk her through this and let her know that you, you can, we can get through this. And with this family in particular too, they were, hope, they were hopeless. Mm-hmm. And so we did actually say those words to her, look, we'll hold the hope for you. We have been, been through this with other mm-hmm. families. We'll walk you through this. And it was... A, a long journey and some really hard work. And a year and a half later, she had a job. Mm. She was successful in school. She felt good about herself and her body and how she looked and had friends. And we just got a note from her about um, a couple of months ago saying she was on track to graduate. She um, was accepted in a couple colleges. And this was a youth that we had several, we spent the night at her home on several occasions. She had actually wrote a suicide note Mm -hmm. a couple times saying goodbye to the family. She had several different plans. One was overdosing, one was being hit by a train, one was jumping off a bridge. And uh, she did a lot of good hard work Mm -hmm. and had a lot of support and her her family did as well but it just puts a smile on your face when I look back and see where Mm -hmm. she was at and the hard work that they everyone had done and where she is that she's going off to college Mm -hmm. and I just as somebody who's like a little more administrator role she's one of those youth we probably have maybe about 200 families and services including some families that are waiting but as soon as you heard her name you knew who it was and this was also a situation where at one point there had to be a therapist change there would be think tanks and 
you know, as much as we mm-hmm. believe, it can be hard sometimes. We have to find ways to hang on to hope yes. because she really, really struggled. And it was like, is she going to go to the hospital for a while or what's good? And she was a very sad girl. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she's, I mean, I like still get chills, but to go off to college is, it's so tremendous. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't actually overemphasize compared to where she started. And it was a long time, mm-hmm. long period, like months of struggles. And sometimes it'd get better and it would go back. And sometimes you just keep with it. Yep. Um, and sometimes it's like, I don't even know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I'm, we're pretty confident in what we do, but it it was challenging, and you know, of our kids that are all hard, she was a top tier one, and so I guess I just really want to underscore yeah. how tremendous it was. Well, anytime you have a success story, when you've had that many hours and efforts put into an individual and a family, and see the outcome in that state, it's a it's a pretty awesome awesome thing. Do you want to add something? Yeah, I also would like to um, acknowledge, too, there was a lot of uh, community collaboration as Mm -hmm. well. We did work very closely with our PCP, with a nutritionist, Mm -hmm. with the school, with the family support systems that they had, um, some other community members. And so it was a whole community Mm -hmm. of people that walked through this. It always takes the village. It Mm -hmm. really does. It always does. So, well, I'm going to end on that because usually I say what gives us hope, but that is what gives us hope right there. You are the hope, keepers of hope, which I really like that. I'm going to now call you the keepers of hope going forward. So I want to say thank you to our wonderful guests, um, Nalita and Rhoda. I I have more and more respect with you for you every time I meet with you. So thank you for being here. And I want to say, please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Um, Also like, subscribe and follow Elevate Health podcast where you're listening so that you will never miss an episode. Until next time. This episode of Elevate Health Podcast was produced by Kim Bjorn, Hannah McCauley, and Robert Marshall Wells. Original music was composed by Riley Eggy, and the podcast was engineered and edited by Riley Eggy. Please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcast wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode.